Welcome in, everybody. Happy to have you with us on episode 58 of the Sports Gospel Podcast here on sportsgospel.com or whichever platform you found us on. We're happy you're with us. A couple notes here. First off, I apologize for missing last week's episode. There was a lot going on in the sports world and we were fully intent to do an episode, but my voice and my throat were absolutely destroyed. I don't know what bug I came down with, but my throat was not in any shape to do it and still maybe a little bit raspy. So I may have to rely on Andrew to carry some of the load here so my voice can have a break. But we're happy to have you back with us on episode 58. And for those of you who have asked, the new theme song that I dropped in, as I like to use pro wrestling themes, that is the Hangman's Tale for the AEW World Champion Adam Page, if you're a AEW fan out there. So I hope you appreciate that song. One of my favorites right now. So we like to mix it up every couple months and get a new song on there. We're going to catch up for some lost time. The stuff I wanted to talk about last week, the NHL playoffs, UFC 274, the Kentucky Derby. I want to recap all that. But we've got Andrew with us tonight. And we are in the midst of the NBA playoffs, the biggest thing on the sports calendar right now. Recording this on a Wednesday night in the midst of a Grizzlies-Warrior game. So uh, we'll try to keep that updated as we go along. But speaking of that series, I think we'll start there. When this started, I texted you, can't wait for the sweep. And you said, did John Morant die? Which, the way some people are acting, you would think Jordan Poole tried to murder John Morant in the middle of the game. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Is the the basketball code? We'll start there. We have to get it out there. Fair foul, that whole play, and then just where we're at in this Warriors Grizzlies series. As if the Grizzlies don't get it together, they're going to be done after tonight. Yeah, everybody is acting like Jordan Poole tried to commit a crime on uh, John Morant, and he's out with a bone bruise that has absolutely nothing to do with his knee. So I'm going to go ahead and say fair on the Jordan Poole play. I, I don't really understand what the big hubbub was about. I think mainly it was because of Taylor Jenkins insinuating that's what Jordan Poole did. And Jordan Poole made a dirty play. Uh, I don't really think so. It does kind of stink that Jordan, uh, John Morant is out for the rest of the playoffs. This looks like it's probably going to end in five. Now the Grizzlies really had a chance in game four to pull it out and they weren't able to do it late. Golden State took the lead late and really kind of took the last breath out of the Memphis Grizzlies without John Morant. They really had a chance and they weren't able to capitalize on it. And now it feels inevitable. Um, game four, looking close so far. The Grizzlies do have a slight lead here in the first quarter, but Steph seems to be heating up. And this has been a really contentious series. We had the very strange Draymond ejection. Um, Isn't that part of your NBA bingo card, though, Draymond getting ejected in a playoff game? uh, Yeah, I mean, Draymond getting ejected wasn't the strange part. It was what he did after he got ejected that was the strange part. He got a flagrant two foul, and then he started uh, hyping up the crowd. It was very... It was very strange. It reminded me a lot of Antonio Brown's last play in the NFL. It was, (laughs) it was, it was a lot like that scene where Antonio Brown is running around with his shirt off and going nuts and hyping up the fans. I mean, Draymond didn't take his his shirt off or anything, but it was very reminiscent of that. And I was thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the big thing that we've had revealed here is um, 
we mentioned Jordan Poole and, and the play with John Morant, but what about Jordan Poole just becoming the third splash brother in this playoffs? I mean, I, I did not foresee that at all. Now, who a valuable contributor, but him contributing at the level that he is where he's putting up 30 point games and, and torching teams. I just did not anticipate that. Now who gets to decrease are Steph and clay. The only two who get to bestow splash brother status on somebody. I can't remember if we ever came to a determination on this. Uh, Stephen Clay and me. I get okay, that's, that's uh, fair. Yeah. I apparently get tiebreaker vote. No, I mean people on the internet are dubbing Jordan Poole as the third Splash Brother, so I'm just kind of rolling with it. I don't know how Stephen Clay feel about this, but it it feels like we've really stumbled upon something here with Jordan Poole, and if he keeps this up, the Warriors are uh, a good bet to make the NBA Finals. So. And they were they were my pick all along. I did not expect Jordan Poole to become the guy, but I can't remember if we talked about this before. Is this just kind of this Warriors team? They always need that fourth guy. Now, granted, you had Kevin Durant for a couple of years, so that was cheating. But when this first started, they had Harrison Barnes. So as long as you have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, is there always kind of that fourth guy? I think people probably thought it was going to be Andrew Wiggins, but did it go from Harrison Barnes to Durant to now Jordan Poole as the fourth leg of the whatever analogy way you finish that or is, or is he a great player in his own right? I guess I just, I just wonder what the Warriors look like if, if clay is injured again and you have pool Steph and Draymond. Yeah. I mean, I think it looks pretty good, but I think it's a little bit more of a struggle with um, the Grizzlies and the nuggets. Um, I, Clay hasn't looked fully like himself yet. I'm still waiting for Clay to come back to what he was before. I'm not sure if we're ever going to get that. Um, but I think I think Jordan Poole could definitely fill that void, and he definitely did at times this season. And Wiggins. Wiggins even filled that void a little bit. I think since Clay has come back, it's been a bit of an adjustment for the rest of the Warriors beyond Clay, Steph, and Dre to make that adjustment. And Jordan Poole is kind of the guy beyond those three that's kind of made the adjustment for, okay, this is how I can play when Clay is in the rotation and he's a part of the team. It took Poole a little bit to figure that out because he had to take a step back. He moved to the bench. And then Steph Curry moved to the bench in the playoffs and and that's just beyond all belief for me. I, I can't believe S- Steve Kerr got Steph Curry to buy in to coming off the bench in the playoffs. I mean, that's a heck of a six man and it's worked out to the Warriors benefit. I mean, Steph Curry is starting again, but it happened in the first series where he was coming off the bench. So I, I think Jordan Poole is just the first of the supporting cast of the Golden State Warriors that, that has figured out how to play around their big three. And that's why we're seeing him break out like he is. Random Warriors-related tangent here. Is Andre Iguodala a Hall of Famer? That's, that's a tough question because he's got multiple championships. And he does have a finals MVP, which if you remember the first time the Warriors won the championship in this, 
in this era with Steph Curry, Clay, and Iguodala and Draymond, it's because they went to that vaunted lineup of death that featured Iguodala, and Iguodala's performance in the finals won him the MVP award against the Cavaliers. Um, it's a really interesting question because Iguodala was never a superstar. He was definitely a star at certain points, a valuable player on the championship team, a finals MVP, but it's a little bit easier to make it into the NBA hall of fame than it is the NFL hall of fame. So I'm going to slightly lean yes on Andre Iguodala being hall of fame player just because of the fact that the basketball hall of fame is more willing to let more guys in than the NFL hall of fame. So because of that fact, I'm going to lean slightly. Yes. I'm happy to hear you say that. I am a huge Iguodala fan. He's one of my all time favorite players. And I've been trying to pull up stats while you've been talking, like you mentioned, he's the finals MVP, uh, one time all-star back in his Philly days, which that's another fun, quick little game. Can you name all the teams that he's played for? Well, he's played for both of the teams in this current series. He's played for the Warriors, the Grizzlies, um, the Sixers, and then all also Miami. I believe he's played for Miami. Um, now here's a this this may be a bit of a technicality. According to NBA reference, he never actually played for the Grizzlies. Correct. He actually never played for them, but he was on the roster. He actually said that he didn't want to be part of uh, the rebuilding job in Memphis and kind of forced his way out and then ended up in Miami for a season, I believe, and then got back with Golden State. He also played with Denver for a short time. Ah, That was the one I thought I was going to trip you up with. Everybody knows the Warriors, and I think most people remember that he joined the Sixers back in 2004, 2005. So he's got to be up there with LeBron and Mello and Dwight Howard is kind of the oldest guys in the league now. But yeah, you mentioned three-time champion went from the Sixers to a season with 2013. He was in Denver. AI, I'm am I crazy? AI was done by then, right? I believe AI was done by then. Okay, um, Philly to Denver for a year, and then he got hooked up with the Warriors, and he's been with them other than a little sojourn to Miami and Memphis. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Three-time champion, one-time All-Star, Finals MVP. So he is, and he's. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't know if this is the most apt cross-sport comparison, but the length of career and the way he just seems to keep going and going, Ewood Dollar reminds me of a basketball version of Frank Gore. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. That's a good one. It's if it's if as if Frank Gore won a championship, which I don't believe he ever did, but he keeps going and going and going and Iguodala kind of the same way. He just keeps going and going, but he has the championships that kind of back him up. And that's why he's going to be a hall of famer. Frank Gore does not have the championships, but he just has the longevity of career. He's really moved his way up the individual stat boards for rushing leaders. And that's why he, he may make the hall of fame someday because of those facts, but yeah. The team accomplishments are not there. And I'm I'm biased. I'm an Iguodala fan, so I give he and Gore both Hall of Fame votes. 
easier to make it into the basketball hall of fame than, than the football hall of fame. And actually, as we're speaking, they're showing uh, Iguodala in his street clothes tonight. He's not suited Ooh. up. What's I, that's my thing. I didn't even think he was really playing that much. Um, no, he, he's not really a regular part of the uh, playoff rotation for the Warriors at this point in time. So um, this may be kind of Iguodala's last ride. Um, maybe next year, but yeah. I kind of view this season as Iguodala's last ride. Do you know where he went to college? Arizona. Dang it. Anything else with the Warriors Grizzly series we haven't touched on before we bounce around in these other three? Uh, no, that's it. I, I fully expect this one to end tonight. So Warriors and five in this one. We'll we'll stay out west in the. I guess if I had to rank these series heading into it, I would call this the fourth most intriguing one. But here we are, Phoenix finally going ahead three to two. Are we actually buying the Mavericks as legit contenders, or is this, uh, hey, thanks for coming, you gave us a good series, now go home in six? I think this is a, hey, thanks for coming, you're going to give us a game seven, because apparently neither team can win on the road in this series. <laughs> um, it's really amazing, because both teams look extremely bad on the road in this series. Um Dallas was down 2-0. They actually maybe had a chance in game two. Um, Luca had a really bad quarter defensively, and now everybody's playing up the fact that he's a terrible defender, which um, I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit overblown, um, but they were able to go to Dallas and to rebound and Dorian Finney-Smith in game four going off. Maybe we'll get Tim Hardaway Jr. suiting up, but I don't think that's enough to tip a series. Chris Paul has had a couple of stinkers in Dallas, both Game 3 and Game 4. A lot of turnovers in Game 3, the foul out in Game 4, which there are plenty of questionable calls, and I don't want to harp too much on officiating, but there's been a lot of flopping in the Mavs Sun series. Um both teams seem to have perfected the art of the flop and it's, they're getting rewarded for it. And like three of Chris Paul's six fouls in game four were, were on flops block charge calls where someone who was defending him flopped or he got called for a block when he was trying to flop or things like that. And, it's really made this series kind of unwatchable at points. We've also had the Jalen Brunson revolution come through here. It's a lot like the Jordan Poole revolution with Golden State, but on a smaller scale. Uh, Jalen Brunson has really proven to kind of be maybe that second guy that can kind of make plays and get baskets when he needs to. They can kind of accompany Luca. And then Dorian Finney-Smith has just knocked down open shot after open shot. Uh, I think the Suns are a little bit too much for the Mavs to overcome, and so I think they will win this in seven. But neither team can win on, on the road, and that's why I'm saying uh, Suns in seven. This is kind of a broader point, and I don't want to get too far into Eastern Conference teams yet, but are we seeing hero ball versus team ball when people think, Oh, you just, you get a Kevin Durant, you're going to win. And, you know, I kind of bought into that with the nets of, yeah, they, they have Durant and Kyrie. What else do they need? 
But look at the teams that are winning. We talked about what the Warriors have. The Suns are a complete team. You look at all the different guys who contribute. I love Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. I think they're great. Dorian Finney-Smith has been a great piece. But this team is really all about Luka. The Bucks. it feels like it's been Giannis and everybody else kind of biding their time and not really contributing on the same level. So I'm looking at this, the teams that have a chance. Are we seeing this? Yeah, you may have the big superstar, but unless all of your other guys are contributing, you're not going to make it. You're going to need four or five guys to step up. I think the Grizzlies, you see, well, no jaw, you're in trouble. So it's kind of wondering right now if we think it's, well, you need to have that big superstar. Well, not everybody's LeBron who can just throw any roster on their back in prime LeBron years. You you need to have four, four or so guys who can take over on any given night. Well, I don't know so much of it's that because I do think the Warriors are actually a pretty good team. I mean, you have the superstar power of Curry, Thompson, uh, but then you have guys really filling their roles and, and doing a great job like Jordan Poole. Um, the Suns, who I expect to eventually overcome here against the Mavs, um, I think we're seeing the superstar teams kind of cap out at a certain point. I think Dallas has kind of capped out. They've kind of maxed out their potential here in round two with Luca. I mean, Luca can go get a bucket anytime he wants, but it's actually been the revelation of guys like Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, I do think that the complete teams are actually winning out for the most part here in the second round. Um so that's why I expect Phoenix to kind of overcome. They have Booker. They have Chris Paul. Uh, DeAndre Aiden, he's kind of the guy who needs to get going. I, I felt like Aiden had a real clear advantage inside in this series against Dallas, but he hasn't been able to exploit that. In fact, he's done the absolute opposite of exploit that. And it's been kind of mind-boggling to me. I, I don't know what Dallas has exactly done to kind of – defend Aiden or mess with him, but they've kind of locked Aiden down a little bit here and it's kind of made the series a little bit more even. Um, I think the more well-rounded teams are winning for the most part, which we can get to the Eastern Conference in a a little bit and talk about those teams. But I think in the West, the more well-rounded teams are winning. So are you finally... You're you're convinced the Suns are going to hang on to win this one, correct? Game game six tomorrow night. Yeah, I don't. I think, I think the Mavs and their home court, they're just a different team in Dallas. I can't really explain it. They just and, and Phoenix seems to be a different team on the road. So I'm thinking this goes seven, but I'm expecting the Suns to hang on in seven. I don't see any way that Booker and Chris Paul are letting the Suns lose in a game seven in Phoenix. So this, and I guess it would be the last series, but you finally called an upset. You called chalk the entire first round. And technically the Grizzlies are the two and the Warriors are the three You have Suns one Grizzlies, two Warriors, three and Mavs four. So your, your first upset in your predictions. To be clear, I didn't, I didn't really call this upset. I'm I'm rolling with this upset kind of on the back end. Um, I called an upset in the first round. I called for the Warriors to be upset. I did not expect the pool party that we are getting right now in the playoffs. Uh, and because of that fact, I think the Warriors are well on their way. If I had to prognosticate about how the Western Conference Finals are going to go, what I've seen from Phoenix and what I've seen from Golden State – 
I really like Golden State in a in a Warriors Suns matchup. I'm riding with my Warriors the entire way. Just I, I'll, I'll rant about how much I hate a lot of the NBA uniforms on a future episode. But looking at you, Golden State and Phoenix. Oh, you're not a fan of the Golden State Phoenix uh, uniforms? Uh, was it Saturday or Sunday night? I was watching the Suns had the all orange, which I'm a fan of orange, but I like orange. Like when they do the orange and purple, they do it right. I Those black, the Valley uniforms are the worst. Well, second worst behind when the Jazz do their like four toned faded one. But and the, the Warriors used to have good ones when they would just do the blue and yellow with the city on them. But whatever they're doing this year, not a fan. Ah, they're they're wearing the black tonight. They've been wearing the black, the black and gold jerseys a lot. So Celtics got it right. Bucks are okay. Grizzlies are okay. I typically like the Heat. I I hate the Phila. I hate the. Yeah, I I really don't like the Phila. I really like the uh, I really like the two thousand Sixers uniforms. I don't really understand why they. uh, ever navigated away from the 2006ers uniforms. I really like those. Money, money, money. Yeah, uh, apparently. But uh, that's, that's, that's why I appreciate the Celtics or the Bulls or the Lakers who very rarely change. When you get her, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if, could you imagine if here in game six in Philly, if the Sixers came out in the 2000s uniforms, the, I feel like the crowd would go nuts, and I feel like it would give them some sort of an advantage. I can't really quantify it, but I, I want the Sixers to come out in the 2000s uniforms for Game Six. Those it's ones they—it's not going to happen, but I want it. Whatever they had when Iverson took them to the finals—that era. Yeah, ex- yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Those uniforms come out with them for Game Six. You're going to win Game Six. I'm I'm looking at some of the old uniforms and there's like the Blazers and the Sixers, all these teams in the seventies have like the same font in this ridiculous looking seventies, whatever the lettering was. But yeah, that I'm looking at a picture of AI right now, that Sixers with the star and like the basketball swoosh underneath it. Yeah. And of course it was the early two thousands, so everything was four sizes too big and baggy. Oh yeah. It was it was absolutely incredible, and now nowadays we've kind of got the short shorts back, and I don't really, I don't really like or understand that aerodynamics. Apparently, yeah, I, don't I just think eventually they're going to get to wearing bodysuits like Olympic swimmers because they they all wear like the compression leggings and the compression sleeves. So I think they're yeah they're going to look like swimmers or like scuba divers. I hope not. <laughs> I hope we never get to those days. I, I really hope we keep the jerseys and short looks. Um, that's been a classic of, of basketball. I will boycott, I think, if we go to those <laughs> one-piece uniforms. Um, I don't see it. I'm calling it. In the next 20 years, it'll probably be the Warriors. They already did the dumb T-shirt uniforms. Mm, well, everybody did the dumb T-shirt uniforms for a time. Mm. Want to talk about the Eastern Conference? We might as well. You want Bucks Celtics or Heat Sixers? Let's start with Heat Sixers. In the series that feels like it should have been over a long time ago, the banged up Sixers are somehow hanging in there with the Heat. I hope as you're listening to this, when it drops on Thursday night, the Heat will be on their way to decimating the Sixers. I I don't know how Philly's in this with Batman, Joel Embiid, and suddenly somewhat renewed Harden, but 
just feels like the Heat being a complete team should not be having the troubles they're having. Well, I, I think we got to give Embiid his props. I mean, lesser lesser men would probably not play with the injury that he's got going on. So I got to give him props for at least trying to gut it out, come back, fight through game three and game four. Um, you're right. The Heat are the more complete team, although they've got some concerns of their own. I mean, it's really strange. They paid Duncan Robinson a lot of money. He hasn't played even a single minute in the series. Kyle Lowry is struggling with injuries. He's going to be out in the next game. And you, you can kind of tell that, you know, Miami is the better team overall, but they kind of have their holes. Um, it's a real big boost for Harden as well. You mentioned a rejuvenated Harden. It's a really big boost for Harden to have Embiid back because the, the defense can com- completely key in on Harden when Embiid is out. It opens up a lot of avenues, Embiid being back for Harden. And I didn't think I'd ever say that. I figured it'd kind of be the other way around. But now that I've seen the Sixers play without Embiid in a playoff setting, and then Embiid comes back and the difference in spacing, the way their offense flows, it it is night and day with Embiid in the lineup compared to no Embiid in the lineup. I mean, we aren't getting 30 minutes of DeAndre Jordan anymore, which can, can we talk about why Doc Rivers is so insistent on playing DeAndre Jordan? Can you illuminate me on why he just insists on playing DeAndre Jordan so many minutes with Embiid out? I feel like that's what lost the Sixers the first two games. They were they were way better off playing as some sort of a small ball lineup with no DeAndre Jordan than they were with DeAndre Jordan in the lineup. My theory is that most people in the world could not tell you that DeAndre Jordan was on the Sixers. Kind of like I completely forgot Al Horford was on the Celtics, but yeah, nobody knows that DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap are on this team. No, absolutely not. But um, Paul Reed I mean, we should be playing Paul Reed, other guys, maybe a little bit of Tobias Harris at five, put in another guard. Doc Rivers' insistence on playing DeAndre Jordan heavy minutes in the first two games is what put Philly in that 2-0 hole. I mean, if Embiid hadn't come back, this thing would have been over in four. And now here we are, it's 3-2. We're going back to Philly. I think that Philly crowd, I think Embiid is going to be renewed. Harden is going to do his thing. Maxie's going to do his thing. A little bit of Tobias Harris, a little bit of your guy, Niang. Yeah. It's going to be enough to force a game seven in a series that should never have gotten to a game seven. The Heat are going to close it out in seven because of them being the best team in this series. But I think this thing should have ended in four, maximum five games. Miami's really playing with their food here, and I don't really I don't really understand how they haven't been able to put the clamps down on this Philly team who's been beat down and bruised. 
I'm just looking at some of the Heat stats. And, yeah, we know Jimmy Butler is going to be the guy. Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, they're pulling their weight that you would expect. But then Victor Oladipo is their four. Who knew Victor Oladipo was back in? Some guy named Max Struss is playing well. P.J. Tucker is not going to score a lot of points. He's going to do the dirty work for you. But Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson not contributing? Yeah. The way one I might mean, expect? Kyle Lowry is 35. He's had a lot of injuries. But they've expected a lot out of him this year, this season. And he's not really doing it in the playoffs, but that should not come as a surprise. I mean, from his days in Toronto, Kyle Lowry was always kind of a regular season star, but would always kind of shrink in the playoffs. And it's happening yet again. And I don't even know if we can call it shrinking because of the fact that he's just been hurt and playing through injuries in the playoffs. And you can clearly tell that he's not himself. And you brought up a good point. It's like Victor Oladipo is their fourth guy. When, when And Tyler Hero is very inconsistent as well. Um, so there are certain times where they're relying on Victor Oladipo to kind of be a shot creator and make plays. And Philly is absolutely fine with that. They're saying, hey, Oladipo, you're coming off of two big knee injuries. There's no way you're going to beat us. They're content to let Oladipo almost do whatever the heck he wants to do. And Max Strus, I like his game. I like the game of Gabe Vincent as well. Those guys are taking all of the Duncan Robinson minutes. And- I don't understand what's going on, but apparently Duncan Robinson is so big of a defensive liability that Miami doesn't feel like they can play him in a in a semifinals. They signed him up for like a four-year, $90 million con- contract after the 2020 season, after the end of the bubble season. And they're locked in for another couple of years with Duncan Robinson. And I don't know how they're going to move off that contract because apparently they don't want to play him anymore. It's, well, it's the uh, Victor Oladipo. What goes around comes around. Didn't everybody do that? Sign Victor Oladipo to big money and then never play him? Or he got injured and they moved on? It was mostly that he got injured and they had to move on. But uh, Victor Oladipo is never going to be the same again. So Miami is saddled with a couple of contracts. The Oladipo deal, the the Robinson deal as well. So, And we'll get to the Bucks celtics here in a minute. I know those well, the Bucks mostly are having their own issues, but I look at this heat. If if Duncan Robinson isn't doing his thing, and we have to rely on old Kyle Lowry, old PJ Tucker, and old Victor Oladipo, I don't know that I feel good about this roster against the Celtics or the Bucks. I I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan, a Bam Adebayo fan, hero, and I thought Duncan Robinson was doing better, but I think the Heat are going to dispatch the Sixers because the Sixers are so beat up and not as deep, but I think that other series is going to produce your winner. Yeah, and I would agree. I feel like Bucks celtics is kind of the de facto Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I don't really see either the Heat or the Sixers being as big of a threat as the Bucks or the Celtics. And I think either team would make quick work of both. Um, so the winner of that Bucks-Celtics series, which tonight 
as we just got on, the Bucks were able to pull out an incredible victory late in game five in Boston and to go up three, two. So you would think the Bucks have the inside track on getting to the Eastern conference finals. And I don't want to say that Milwaukee's going to necessarily cruise against the heat who I believe will be there waiting for them in the Eastern conference finals. But I don't think this, this will be as difficult as the Boston series has been. Will the real Boston Celtics please stand up? This is still what I'm trying to figure out. This team that was so awful in the regular season and they looked very good in the playoffs. Yes, the Bucks have gotten right a little bit here, but Boston is so confusing to me. Yeah, um, they've really turned things around. Um, and they've turned things around by being just a really great defensive team. Um, I've been very impressed with their defense against Milwaukee. Now, granted, Chris Middleton is out, so that does take an element of the Bucks' offense away. But you still got Giannis, you still got Holiday, you still got some shooters with Grayson Allen, Connaughton, Wes Matthews, even Brooke Lopez to an extent, Portis. There's still offensive options for Milwaukee, but I've been really impressed with how locked in Boston is defensively, but Milwaukee is also locked in defensively. Their regular season defense in Milwaukee left a lot to be desired, but they've been the uh, number one defense in the playoffs based off of defensive efficiency ratings. So this has been an extremely defensive series. And you say, will the real Boston please stand up? And I think they have. And I think the answer is that we're a defensive team. We want to play these grinded out half-court games. We don't want to get into this up and down, which seems a little bit backwards with kind of the young guys that they have with Brown, Tatum, Smart, Um you think Boston would maybe want to get out and run a lot, and they do every once in a while. They think their opportunities, but they're more into uh, run, um, grinding it out, and they can really kind of play that game. And we haven't mentioned Robert Williams. He's a great defender. He's actually been out the last two games. It's kind of given the Bucks an advantage in the interior, but Robert Williams is one of the better defenders by the defensive metrics. If you look at defensive rating, he's one of the best defenders in the league. Um, Marcus Smart won defensive player of the year, but I would argue that Robert Williams is actually the best defender on the Celtics. Then you throw in a guy like Grant Williams, who's also a good defender. Brown, Tatum, good defenders. Smart, good defender. Horford, decent defender. Milwaukee, Boston kind of come at you in waves defensively, and it's given Milwaukee a lot of fits. They've been able to figure it out a little bit, but it it has not at all been easy. Maybe I'm just showing my ignorance here, but when I think Jason Tatum, I do not think grinded out defensive basketball. I think every run and gun, flashy shooting, pull up three, all the sizzle finesse type basketball, but maybe that's just my lack of watching the Celtics enough. That was very early career Tatum. I think this season especially, he's really committed himself on the defensive end. Brown, you could, 
Jalen Brown, you could kind of always see the signs with his athleticism, how he could be as a defender. But Tatum has really made a decision that I'm going to be a good defender. I'm not going to be a liability on defense for this team any longer. And it's kind of taken the Celtics to a new level defensively. And then offensively, he feels like he belongs. He, in his first couple of years, he was just kind of happy to be here. We kind of saw happy to be here, Tatum. And he's kind of shifted that mindset to, I'm one of the best guys on the court, if not the best guy on the court every time I step on the court. Now, he's not the best guy on the court in this series because Giannis is on the court with him. But he understands, hey, I belong in that Giannis-type level. That is the kind of player that I am, and he's kind of shown that. And so he knows I, – I would get a little bit frustrated with Tatum because I felt like he settled for too many jump shots early in his career. But this year, he's been – picking his spots really well. He knows when it's time to make that mid range, when it's time to pull up for three, when it's time to get to the rim, get fouled, finish at the rim. And he's been finishing at the rim at a better clip than I think at any point in his career. So the the elevation of Tatum's game has really taken Boston to a whole new level. And that elevation has happened on both ends. And, I'm not going to jump ship right now. I already jumped ship from the Nets to the Bucks. I still think this is going to be a Bucks Warriors championship. But you look at the Celtics team. They have everybody under contract. Jason Tatum signed for several more years, but at least through next year. And Danny Age isn't there, so I suspect less chaos in the offseason. But Tatum, Brown, Horford, Marcus Smart, Derek White, Robert Williams, Daniel Tice, Grant Williams are all still under contract for next year. So this may be my way too early that the Celtics this year, next year are going to be your NBA champion. Unless there's some seismic trades. I look at that roster and how well they're playing right now. I don't think that the bucks or the heat are necessarily better. We've seen the nets be a disaster. Who knows what's going to happen in Philly. So you you look at the East, this may be Boston's to lose next year. If they can keep these guys together. Well, I think we'll definitely be at a point next year where we're facing down a Boston-Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals because the Bucks aren't going anywhere as long as Giannis is around, as long as Holiday is around, as long as Middleton's around. The Bucks aren't going anywhere. And you mentioned the guys that Boston has under contract and the way they seem to figure things out in the second half of this year and in the playoffs – even if they lose a series, and I do expect that Milwaukee will be able to pull it out in Milwaukee in game six, the, the, they're very primed for next year. Now, Al Horford will be 36, so I don't know if you'll be able to count on Al Horford. I felt like he was almost washed up. But apparently and then Giannis talked a bunch of smack. Apparently, Al Horford does a little bit in tank. I don't know if Giannis talking smack had anything to do with Horford the other night. Um, Horford just seemed to go off. Um, but I, I don't really know if you can count on Horford for another year. But because of Al Horford, the Celtics are still in the series, or the series would have ended tonight. 
Yeah, he's one of those guys you kind of forget about. And then, oh yeah, Al Horford's around. I think he's he's kind of at Iguodala for me. That same class of seems like just a pros pro, a veteran, a leader, a locker room guy. Like you want Al Horford on your team for all those intangibles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, loved Al Horford when he was in Atlanta. That's where he spent the bulk of his career, a little bit of his career with the Celtics, a little bit with OKC, and then back to the Celtics. But, yeah, he's just been a consistent performer. What I what I really didn't expect from him was the shooting that we've seen in the series – Milwaukee is very content to let Al Horford shoot open threes, but he's hitting them at almost a 50% clip in the series. But most teams did that to Al Horford this whole season where they left him open and they, they kind of picked their poison. They said, Al Horford, if you're going to beat us from three, okay, you're going to beat us from three. And he shot 33% shooting mostly open threes for the whole regular season. And here in the playoffs against the Bucks, he has all of a sudden stepped it up to 50%. So this isn't really something I expected. I also didn't really expect the Jalen Brown explosion in game two, you know, the 25 points in one quarter, 30 points in a game. Marcus Smart shooting the ball well. A lot of things have kind of gone the Celtics way for them to be 3-2. It feels like Milwaukee should have wrapped this thing up by now, but a little bit like Phoenix, a little bit like Miami, they're kind of playing with their food a little bit. And uh, I wish Milwaukee would just kind of wrap this thing up. Impromptu Al Horford-based trivia. So you know where he went to college, correct? Florida, yeah. And they won two national titles while he was there. Yes, correct. Who were the starting five? It was the same group of five guys. Who were the starting five for Florida those two years? Well, it was Al Horford, Joakim Noah, um, Corey Brewer. Those are the three that at least had NBA careers. The other two guys were not as successful in the pros. Correct. Uh, the other guy was Torian Green. Correct. Um, and the fifth guy. Wow. Um, Speaking of those four were all sophomores that first year. Heck of a recruiting class by Billy Donovan. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Great recruiting class by Billy Donovan. That fourth guy is what's really tripping me up. Um. Goodness, it wasn't a guy that also had NBA experience, was it? Uh, let me see, according to his Wikipedia page, what it tells me. I don't remember this guy ever being in the pros. Um, it looks like he played for um, a bunch of European words that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But he was, It looks like he had three years in the European leagues. Was it Donnell Harvey? Incorrect. Hmm. Teddy Dupay? I feel like you're just looking at a random Florida Wikipedia page. Lee? Uh, no, nope. I'm coming up with these names on my own. Absolutely on my own. Lee Humphrey. That was it. Wow. I remember watching those teams and thinking that Joe Kim Noah was going to be the star, and then everybody said, oh, no, Al Horford's the better pro, and they may have been right. 
Oh, they were 100% right. I mean, Joakim Noah had some good years in the NBA, but obviously Al Horford's still around, still doing his thing. Um, I really thought Corey Brewer might be the best pro, but that did not materialize either. Random quick side note here before we move on to another topic. Well, first, let's recap. Who are your final four that you're going with at this point? I'm going to Phoenix, Golden State, Milwaukee, and Miami. Um, and I think I'm I'm finally on board with what you've kind of been saying all along. I think I'm on board with the Milwaukee, Golden State, NBA Finals. Yeah, welcome to the club. Come on in. The water's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the most entertaining NBA Finals. Um Hopefully Chris Middleton is back. I, I have heard some rumors that he may actually be back for game six in this current semifinal series. I don't know if the Bucks will do that, but I've heard some rumors. Um, obviously, I think it would be better for Milwaukee and for everybody involved if uh, the Bucks are at full strength, if Golden State's at full strength. I think that would actually make for the best finals. And to my question I wanted to ask, do you think this has been a particularly dirty finals? We've talk, talked about, yeah, I don't know if it's really dirty, but Giannis talking smack and setting off Al Horford, the Jordan Poole, John Morant thing. Um, it seems like everybody's really focusing on the intense play. Is that just, hey, we're fighting for a championship, or is this a, seems to be a particularly dirty year? I don't think I would use the word dirty. I do think I would use the word intense. I think I would use the words competitive. It hasn't been, it's been really competitive. Um, and I, I like it. Um, I don't know if it's been more competitive than past years. I think about um, some of the past years with, uh, Good Western Conference Finals and Eastern Conference Finals, you know, going six and seven games. I mean, there's a there's a lot that remains to be seen, um, but I think the semifinals has been more heated than most in recent memory. I was I was worried that people were going to think it was dirty. I didn't think it was particularly bad, but you watch more of these games than I do. No, I don't think it's been particularly bad. I think maybe the one series that's ventured into a little bit of the bad, quote unquote, has been this Grizzlies Warriors series. And it's just been because of the level of trash talk that's kind of gone back and forth between the two teams. Even the Grizzlies coach kind of getting involved and getting in the dirt a little bit with um, saying what he said about Jordan Poole. I think Grizzlies Warriors has maybe gotten a little dirty, but I think Bucks Celtics has just been competitive, fiery, feisty, heated, two really good teams going at it. And Bucks Celtics has just actually been a lot of fun. I don't think there's anything dirty about that series. Just a lot of fun. And also I feel the same about Mavs Suns. Just a couple of decent teams going at it. We're seeing Booker go off. We're seeing Donkic go off. We're seeing Chris Paul have good games. We're seeing Chris Paul have bad games. I think we're just having a lot of fun with those series, but maybe Grizzlies Warriors has been a little bit, not dirty, but a little bit of the the bad that you don't really want to see come out in the playoffs. 
Well, would you like to talk about a sport where we encourage, well, I won't call it dirty play, but aggressive intensity and hitting? Are we moving on to hockey? Is it hockey 10? It's hockey. I have, I have zero idea what your level of hockey knowledge is, so we're at least going to shoot in the dark if you would like. Um, my hockey knowledge is I watched a few games. Um, I, have, I have some people in my life that are Penguins fans, so I've watched a couple of Pittsburgh Penguins game, including a triple overtime thriller, I believe in game two where the penguins are able to tie it up and it looks like the penguins. I'm not sure as of uh, this recording, I believe they may have been able to actually. They well, blew it. They, bl- they, they blew it. They, they were they, actually up one Oh, at one point they blew it five to three, unfortunately. Um, but I think the penguins will definitely prevail. Yeah. Um, and then I've watched a little bit of the Wild Blues series just because of the local interest here in Des Moines. We have the Isle Wild connected to the Minnesota Wild, obviously. So I am cheering for the Wild, but apparently the Blues are a little bit too experienced. I believe they won the Stanley Cup in 2019. Um, tell me if I'm wrong on that, but I believe the Blues – Won the Stanley Cup in 2019. They still have some guys that are kind of left over from that team. My hockey knowledge isn't very great. I know the teams that are kind of in it. I could tell you maybe where some of the series stand, but go ahead. Well, I had this all prepped last week, and so some of my picks are going to sound a little shady, but I promise I wrote all this down last week kind of projected my way through the bracket and going to go quick series by series here. We won't go as in depth as we do with the NBA, but thank you, Colorado avalanche, the top seed here. And I guess before we get into this, the NHL playoffs, I think are the hardest ones to pick because there's absolute chaos. So just let people know we've had a couple of years. They recently redid their playoffs and then we had COVID. So for two years, we've had these really wonky, weird playoffs, but eight teams from the East, eight teams from the West, and you have your divisions And so it's not really like a one through eight, like you have with the NBA or the NFL. So they kind of have four little mini brackets and you've kind of got the abs who were the top in theirs. So you have the abs versus the predators as much as I love Nashville, they've become a great hockey city down there, but this abs team is great. You've got the two big stars, Nathan McKinnon and Kale Makar. Um, Then Ranson is also having a great season, but the abs, Getting the sweep right there, taking down the Predators. Love the Predators, but this Avs team, spoiler alert, I have them going very far. I loved this team last year, and they disappointed me, but they are—they look primed right now, and they're going to be deadly. The best offense and the best defense in the regular season, so watch out for Colorado. Uh, you're, and then your Minnesota Wild that you're talking about, and as we're recording this, they are down 3-2 in their series with the Blues. I have the Blues winning this one. This is basically your 2-3 matchup. You're there. You've seen enough to know. Do not trust the Minnesota Wild. We've seen this for the last 10 to 20 years where they spend a bunch of money. They get these stars, and they have good players up there right now. Uh, Kaprizov, uh, Kirill Kaprizov is kind of the new big star for them, and then Fiala is also having a strong season. But it's the Wild. We know they're going to come back and bite you. Never, ever have faith in the Minnesota Wild. The Blues, you are correct. Good good pull out of you. It was 2019 when we all fell in love with Laura Brannigan's Gloria and the little engine that could St. Louis Blues. Now they've kind of become a traditional playoff team here in the NHL. The Blues are up 3-2, and I just I have them taking down the Wild because I can never trust the Minnesota Wild to ever do anything nice. 
And why exactly is it that Minnesota can never have anything nice? I mean, the it's a fine question. The Vikings. It just seems like Minnesota, the Twins. I mean, obviously, Minnesota professional sports, they can just never have anything nice. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're naming off some of these player names, and I'm just going like, why isn't uh, Sidney Crosby still the best? Why isn't Alexander Ovechkin still the best? Because they're 40. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember 10 years ago when those guys were the best and, you know, I just thought that's how it would always stay. So, um, we, we, but too much to keep up with. And also my hockey knowledge is very limited because, you know, it happens during basketball season and I, uh, I, I watch basketball a lot more than I watch hockey. So, so like, I'm trying to think of what's a, a good comparison for you. Nathan McKinnon is to the NHL what, um, oh, I'm sure what, what Devin Booker is to the NBA. How's that? Nathan McKinnon is the Devin Booker of NHL. Got it. Got it. Well, so is the, it just me, or does it seem like NHL just doesn't quite have the market that the NBA does? I have a. Go ahead. I have a theory about this, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm open to your theories, but I just don't feel like the NHL stars are kind of put in the forefront like the NBA stars are. Um, You know, you see NBA stars on commercials. You see these guys all over your TV all the time on ads. Everywhere you look, you see NBA guys, you see NFL guys, NHL guys, besides like maybe Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky, I don't really see much. And I don't really understand that. Is it just sort of a a marketing problem? Is the NHL league office maybe just not doing enough to promote the game or what? What is that? Go ahead with your theory. Well, there's, I think there's, it's, it's a multifaceted thing, but I, I also have this theory with tennis and uh, kind of golf to some extent. Where do most of the NBA players and NFL, NFL players come from? Our two biggest sports. Yeah, they absolutely, they're homegrown here in America. Right. And I would have to look to figure out where all these guys are from. But when you think about most, like you say, Ovechkin, Russian, uh, Crosby, Canadian, yes, Canada's right there. Um, but just looking right. at the you know looking at the names of the guys, I'm pretty sure Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. I'm pretty sure are both Canadian. But when you have guys like you know Artemi Panarin, Vladimir Tarasenko, you know where do you think these guys are from? Not America. So I think that's part of it. For whatever reason, as Americans, we love to fall in love with Americans. So I think in tennis, people know who Serena Williams is, and yeah, we may know guys like Federer and Nadal because they've been around forever. But really, unless there's a great American star or several to fall in love with, like you have with the NBA and the NFL, I think that's a big problem. And I think you're kind of seeing that in baseball a little bit too. I mean, yes, we have Mike Trout, but nobody's ever found him to be super compelling. It's the, you know, Americans want to love great American players for whatever. I don't really care where you're from as long as you're great and fun to watch. But Yeah. I, I like your theory. I think it makes a lot of sense. So, so yeah, we cheer for American players in every sport, but not a lot of American players in hockey. So we're just well, we'll make your picks along with it. The, the abs have already won, so I think you probably want to pick the abs to advance to the 
to the quarters. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take the abs. All right, and uh, then, and then the wild and the blues. Your wild are down three two right now. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to call them my wild. No, I think sorry. I am rooting for them just because they're a local team. I'm rooting for the Penguins a little bit also. I haven't really found a team to latch onto. Maybe that's part of my disinterest with hockey as well. I'll go ahead and take the Blues. I think they've yeah. still got that championship experience. Kind of stinks. I don't like cheering for Missouri teams for whatever reason. <laughs> but uh, I think the Blues will go ahead and take that one. And then on the bottom half, you've got the surprising Flames, who uh, they have Kachuk, who's the the young star for them. Lindholm's had a great season, and Goudreau also. So they've kind of got a young core for uh, for Mister Basketball comparison over there. They're kind of your um, they're your Memphis Grizzlies of hockey, going up against the Stars and death to the Dallas Stars for burned me so bad last year. I fell in love with this Dallas team the last couple of years and kind of limped their way into the playoffs here. So I refuse to support the stars. I don't know that I love the flames, but in this series, give me Calgary to take down Dallas. I think just for the sake of being different, I'm going to ride with Dallas. Ooh. And so they are playing as we're recording this, just getting started. They are tied two two in this one. So the, the abs predators is really the only blowout series we have. The rest of them are going to go at least six probably. Yeah. Uh, and that's my other thing with hockey. It seems like most of these series go six or seven games. Yeah. And, and there's no eights can beat ones and sevens can beat twos. Hockey, hockey playoffs make no sense. All right. And then we get down to the Oilers and the Kings. The Kings are happy to be here. I'm still not sure how they made the playoffs. And then you have the Oilers. Are the Oilers ever finally going to be good? You've got two of the three, eh, two of the three or four best players in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Connor McDavID is the future. You want to know who's your next Ovechkin, who's your next Crosby. It's McDavid. Doesn't help that he plays in Edmonton. That's not going to help your American fan marketing. But the Oilers are so good. They have so much talent. Those two, I believe, are both MVPs. If not, you know, it's it's like teaming up your Golden State Warriors team. The Oilers have been a disappointment with the talent, but I think they're finally at least going to make a bit of a run this year. So give me Edmonton, who they're to further instill my point somehow the Kings are ahead three, two in the series. I don't know how, but I think the Oilers are going to rally and get two. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take the LA Kings. I can't root against the team that Gretzky used to play for. So you played for both of these. You are, you are, you're in a rock and a hard place, sir. I am in a rock and a hard place. I don't know why I remember Gretzky in an LA Kings uniform more than an Oilers uniform, but I think most people do. I think I'm going to go ahead and take uh, take the LA Kings in this one. I don't know if it's just because I'm going to. I want to again root for an American team over a Canadian team. So, LA. And we're going to go out east, where the Eastern Conference matchups all kind of feel like the haves versus the have-nots. You have kind of the four marquee teams of the East all playing. I won't call them upstarts, but more of your non-traditional contenders. We start at the top, the Capitals and Ovechkin, who's still one of the top scorers in the league, having a great year. Uh, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, Jonathan Kuznetsov, still there doing their thing for the Caps. But they are down right now against the Florida Panthers, who people have been all over the Panthers loving this team, thinking they may be the best team in all of hockey and the favorite. Barkov's been great. Huberto's been the star for them. I know Florida's leading, but call me a sucker. I'm going to stick with the Capitals to get through this series. Well, I just looked it up. 
the Panthers are 58 and 18. I don't know if regular season performance is always the great greatest predictor of playoff performance, but they're 58 and 18 and up three, two. And uh, I think that's all I can say about Florida. Also, why is a Florida hockey team good? That seems very yeah, ironic and counterintuitive that a, a team in such a warm state would have such a good ice hockey team. So well, I, I like that angle. Don't tell the Coyotes uh, about it. I like that angle. Go Panthers. Did the Coyotes even exist anymore? I thought they, they had been shut down. I'm not, I think the NHL may still own them. And I, I'm, I'm not – I'm. Serious when I say this, I think they're playing in like a VFW hall or like a high school gym next year. They'll have to look it up. Maybe they're in a small college, but there's a whole thing about they're building a new stadium, and I'm pretty sure they're playing in a minor league arena next year or something. Interesting. Well, uh, my best to the warm weather hockey team, Florida Panthers. They're going to win the series. Now, you talk about warm weather hockey, your back-to-back champions, the biggest dynasty in American sports right now, the Tampa Bay Lightning. How does Florida get two good teams? I have been all over this Lightning team the last couple of years. They've kept this core together. My guy, Steven Stamkos, is there. Victor Hedman's great. Kucherov is still there. Braid, uh, Braden Point's been great. So this core, the Lightning, just keep running it back. That's what I like about hockey more than I think some of the other sp- you know, for sure, basketball, how quickly those teams fall apart. I feel like in the NHL, when you find a core group of guys, they stick together. You think how long Taves and Kane and those guys have been together with the Blackhawks. They're not good anymore, but they're still together. Toronto, the Maple Leafs are leading the Lightning 3-2 to two right now, but the back-to-back champs, I have the Lightning making a deep run here. So another team, kind of like the Oilers, I think there's too much talent. They're going to make a run and going to have to go seven games, but they're going to pull it out. Well, I think I heard that the Maple Leafs haven't won the cup since the seventies. Yeah, the Canadians don't like to be reminded of their drought. Yeah. When you have teams uh, like Tampa winning championships. Well, I, I hate to remind the Canadians of the drought. <laughs> I think this is the one Canadian team I'm gonna root for. Uh, the Maple Leafs, and I think they are gonna win this series. Yeah, they got so close last year with the Canadians making the run, so Last year, the Montreal Canadiens made it to the finals and got destroyed by the Lightning. And then the Canadiens completely fell apart in our, the worst team in hockey this year. So that's one of the great fall from graces. But the Canadiens appreciate your support. I think that's your first, that is your first Canadian team you picked. That is. And unless I scrolled too fast, the last Canadian team to win a cup was the 1993 Canadiens. So 20 long years, Canada, 30 long years. I don't know how math works. Right. All right. Uh, then we have the Carolina Hurricanes, a team. You talk about this playing team hockey. Ajo is really the only guy for them who really stands out when you look at the top scorers, all the stat categories. Hurricanes are right in there. They're leading the Bruins. You talked about the kind of the old guard of hockey. The Bruins are one of those teams that feels like they've been good forever, along with the Penguins, Lightning, and Capitals. Carolina will do this every 10 years or so where they'll suddenly get really, really good. I think it was 2006 or so they won the Cup. I'm going to stick with Carolina. I really have no rationale behind it, but I'm going to ride with the Hurricanes to get past this round. I'm going to take the one upset here, Bruins and seven. And then we get to the bottom. Here they are. They've been waiting for you. The Rangers and the Penguins. The Rangers, everybody keeps saying, this is the year. This is the year. The Rangers are finally going to do it. Chris Kreider's having a great year. Artemi Panarin, uh, Panarin's having a great season. And then the Penguins still, Crosby, the best guy. Gensel's also having a tremendous season. But I really, for no other reason than they're the Penguins, I'm taking the Penguins to get past New York here. You said they could have finished them off in the gentleman's sweep, but 
We're at least going to get six out of this. Yeah, they were up 2-0 tonight at one point, and then uh, blew it, gave up three goals in a row, it looks like. Here, we're able to tie at 3-3, and then the Rangers put on two goals in the third period, which um just mind-boggling to me. But I think uh, the Penguins will be able to close this thing out in six. So Penguins advance to the next round. <laughs> So we will we'll update this as we go along, but just I'll sprint through mine really quick. I've got Avs Blues in the next round. I think the Avs take that. Flames and Oilers, so it's Canadian versus Canadian. I've got the Oilers. And then in my Western Conference final, I've got Colorado taking down Edmonton. On the east side, I've got Caps and Lightning with the Lightning taking that one. Carolina Hurricanes versus the Pittsburgh Penguins with the Canes. Again, a team I can't explain at all, making it to the Eastern Conference semis with the Lightning. So I've got the Lightning and the Avs playing for the Stanley Cup, and Colorado's finally going to do it. Too much talent there for them to not get it done. You want to give us your projection here? I've got your picks. Give me Penguins, Maple Leafs, and the Stanley Cup. That's, that's, that's not possible. You can have them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yes, give me that in the Eastern Conference Finals. It shows you how little I know about hockey's. Um, Can we get? Can we get? Can we get a Penguins Kings matchup? You can if that. If anybody's listening, and Andrew, you need you need to go place that bet right now, whatever sportsbook, because if Penguins Kings hits, you are retiring the day after. Well. Penguins Kings gonna hit. <laughs> I, I have a feeling. I don't know why. I just have a gut feeling we're getting Penguins Kings in the Stanley Cup Finals. Give me Penguins and seven in that scenario. This is like those stories when they say that the woman who works in HR who never watches basketball wins the March Madness pool. Like she beats a hundred other people who are basketball nuts. Yeah, That's what's that happening right now. Me. That's gonna be me if this exact scenario unfolds. I love it. So I've got Avs Lightning with Avs coming out, and you've got Penguins Kings. Did you pick a winner, Penguins Kings? Penguins and seven. Okay, I like it. As long as you've got Sidney Crosby, you've probably got a chance. That's how I feel. All right, so last, we're getting close to our hour here. Did you watch we had two events Saturday I wanted to predict, and good thing I didn't because I missed wildly on both of them, Kentucky Derby and UFC 274. Did you watch either one? Place any money on either one? Better question. I did not bet any money. I did not watch either one. I I had other entanglements on Saturday night, um, but I did manage to see the highlight of Rich Strike. I believe winning the Kentucky Derby, coming from way back to win the Kentucky Derby. That was rather impressive. UFC two seventy four. I didn't really see the results of that. I do know that it was a pretty Pretty good card. I'm not really sure what went down with UFC on Saturday night. We'll we'll start with the Kentucky Derby here. It was a phenomenal race. I love watching the Triple Crown. I don't really get into horse racing beyond those three, but I do love to watch those three, especially the Derby. It's too many horses for a race. So you'll listen to horse people talk. They complain that you shouldn't have more than 10 or 12, but it's kind of fun to see the chaos at the start. Rich Strike was an 80 to one long shot. So cool. I think one of the, if not the biggest long shot to ever win. But like you say, the run he made from deep, just like in the last kind of 30% of the race, just punched it down and just watch him weave through the traffic. It's impressive on both the jockey and the horse that they can do that. My picks were Zandon and Crown Pride. 
Luckily, Zandon got third, so had I bet, I would have won some show money. Crown Pride finished way at the back. Uh, some of the other favorites, White Abario is way back there. I believe Mo Donegal and Simplification were two of the favorites. Got fourth and fifth, so right in there. But props to you if you bet money on Rich Strike, a, a true Cinderella story in sports to go from 80 to 1 and win this whole thing. That's, I think, I think Kings Penguins may be 80 to 1 or better for the NHL right now. So you could be the Rich Strike of. That is a that is a, my absolute goal is to uh, be that long shot bet that hits in the NHL because I know nothing about it. No. A a fantastic Kentucky Derby, and I was watching Zandon come around the final court. I'm like, yes, my horse is in it, and then he quickly faded and rich strike. Great, you know, great fun race. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. The most exciting two minutes in sports, and then UFC 274 here. Charles Oliveira for the third fight in a row, I believe. I've picked against him, and he has proved me wrong. So props to Charlie Olives maintaining his lightweight championship. He's taken down – it's Poirier, Gaethje, and – who's the third guy I beat? I'm blanking on it right now. But I thought Gaethje would win this one, the fists of stone. Gaethje got him down and got the rear naked choke in the first round of all the ways for Gaethje to lose. I did not expect that to be the way. But Charles Oliveira, his career odyssey, a great feel-good story, taking him a long time to get to the mountaintop, and now he's there. He's not letting anybody take him down. Did miss weight, so the belt was not on the line, so they have to sort that all out. But props to him. Would have cost me a lot of money had I put it down. I'm a big Gaethje fan, but props to Charles Oliveira. I think the big upset, Carla Esparza beating Rose Namajunas. Thug Rose was the defending women's strawweight champion. Split decision, and the scorecards look wildly different, so I feel like UFC has to run this one back. Michael Chandler defeating Tony Ferguson with a KO front kick. Three years ago, Ferguson, we thought he was going to be a title contender, and he's, I think, four in a row he's lost. Now, both of these guys were in a must-win situation, and Chandler's got a bit of a future, but, man, I think Tony Ferguson, unfortunately, is just done. And then Ovin St. Preux beating Shogun Hua, and who knew Shogun Hua was still around? Another split decision there. So those are the top four fights. I didn't get to watch as much of the card I wanted to, but props to all the winners, and I think four great fights with very different results. Yeah. Um, sounds like a good fight night. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, if you're going to learn anything, don't bet against Charles Oliveira. Um, whenever he gets yeah. back in the cage, cost me three times in a row. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to parlay Penguins King Stanley Cup with <laughs> Charles Oliveira's next opponent, and then I'm going to make a lot of money. I need to figure out when our next big UFC card is. They're getting, they do some, ooh. You've got a fun one coming up in, you got about a month until June. The card could change between now and then, but Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prochaska, Valentina Shevchenko versus a woman I don't know. It's a, it's a good card here at the top. I'll, I don't think they've announced Oliveira's next fight yet, but. Waiting on that before I bet uh, Kings uh, <laughs> Penguins. Uh, might have to bet Kings and Penguins before that comes out, though. Yes. Well. The way the NHL is going, usually they're the ones who are fast, and the NBA is the slow playoffs. Now the NBA is booking way past the NHL, so hockey needs to pick up the pace. That's kind of what I was thinking. I, I didn't really understand how hockey was only on the first round, and uh, the NBA was really progressing towards the conference finals pretty soon. Yeah, which I don't know how that works. Yeah, Like like I said, NHL is usually way ahead, and the NBA feels sluggish, but here we are, and NBA is almost to the next you know two rounds ahead. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. Right. Um, I, I'd like to see this wrapped up pretty soon. So, Anything else in the sports world we haven't talked about? A lot goes on each week, and we only get you once every two weeks. So anything else we haven't talked about that's on your radar? 
Uh, not a lot on my radar, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Warriors are going to win their series in six. I'm amending that because they're down by 34 <laughs> points in the third oh, quarter. I, yeah, so, I, I stopped paying attention when we got on other subjects. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching this game kind of as we've been speaking. They're currently down 34 here with eight minutes left to go in the third quarter. So I'm going to go ahead and take Warriors in six games, not five. Totally smart, smart move. Impressed by the Grizzlies coming back after their defeat in the last game where I thought they had a legitimate chance to win. Um, can't believe they're really kind of blowing out the Warriors. So, uh, But beyond that, we've kind of – the NFL draft has subsided – a lot of teams made a lot of good moves. Um, our next thing kind of is the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and then beyond that, the NBA draft. I don't know if you get into that at all, but uh, maybe we can talk about that at some point in the future. I don't think I've asked you yet, but I think I have you on the schedule for a uh, NBA mock draft. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's coming up in late June, you know, after the finals are over, that's when the NBA draft goes down. So I'll be uh, all over that one. Good. I will know who seven of the people are, and then I will rely on you to tell me who all these random European and G League guys are. Hmm. Maybe the G League guys, but not the European guys. That's not quite my area of expertise. I, I know a lot more about the uh, American-born players. You're not watching Juventus? basketball not yet it's not as mainstream as it maybe should be i I know you don't believe in cbs sports but their mock draft has your boy keegan murray going in the top three hey i can believe in cbs sports a little bit when it comes to that (laughs) ahead of chet the jet i think he's more nba ready than chet the jet but they have him going to the pistons so you got to yeah, deal with that. Oh, perfect. He can team up with Luca Garza. <laughs> it'll be it'll be like good times are back again. So um and Cade, I guess. Cade Cunningham. So um yeah, that's that's the plight of going in uh the top part of the NFL draft and the NBA draft is you end up on a bad team. Well, I will be relying on you to tell me everything I need to know about Christian Braun. Blake Wesley and Marjan Bochamp. All right. I, uh, I'll get the scouting reports ready and I'll be back in a month or so. Yeah. Looking through this mock, I think I know seven of the, literally seven of these people. Wonderful. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it all lined up and get ready to go with the in-depth scouting reports for all of our listeners. And before we get out of here, I know we're going way long. We did not even talk about Jokic winning MVP. How are we? Let's tip of the cap, clap hands for the Joker for winning his second MVP. Yeah, I mean, I had a sense that once the season ended, that's how this was going. Um, do we ever think about factoring in the postseason to the MVP vote, or is this a, just a regular season award? Because Jokic is gone. He has two MVPs now. Um, he's probably not going to win another unless he does something really impressive. 
do we ever think about factoring in the playoffs into the MVP award? Because Jokic won the MVP, yes, but he's not the best player in the NBA. Um, that's definitely Giannis. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of debate about that. So I think it's a little bit of an interesting conversation there um, with, yeah, Jokic won MVP, but he's maybe not the best player in the game. I am all for having that debate. I think there's, of our four major team sports, I think that makes sense for three of them, but not the fourth. But I, uh, we should, let's table that one to get into on a future episode. When things are a little bit more lean and we don't have as much to talk about, we're going to need some topics to fill some time. Amen to that. I think that is a big conversation that needs to be had, though. So, Fun fact, Jokic is the 15th multi-time MVP. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize there were only 15. I feel like there were more, but that's a, that's a good tidbit. Plenty of guys with just one, but right. Okay. Here's, here's the last thing tonight. One trivia question. Then we'll leave most MVPs in NBA history is. Is it Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan is tied for second with Bill Russell. They each have five. The guy at number one has six. Wilt. Wilt has four tied with LeBron. The guy at number one has six. Is that Jerry West? Jerry West. Does Jerry West have one? Oh, maybe he doesn't. He sure. he does not have more than one, but I'm trying to see if he does have one. I was just looking at a that is a things you learn on the show. Jerry West was never an MVP. So I would okay. I, if I was gonna name MVPs, I definitely would have named Jerry West. Absolutely. Um six time MVP, huh? George Mikan? How what year do you think this is? Did they give out MVPs when he played? I don't know. Um I don't know if it's LeBron James. I, I was gonna guess LeBron James, but I nope. really don't feel like he's a six time MVP at all. He has four. Interesting. This man got three apiece with two different franchises. Three apiece with two different franchises. That is interesting. Um, when did this man play? Um, so That'll he was. Give it away. He That'll was give it away. Okay. It it probably would. Can you give me the position? Uh, probably technically center in his era. Center in his era. Since in, t- in today's basketball, I don't know how we define positions anymore. Wow. Uh, who is this? Cream. There you go. I was going to say he's literally a big name. Kareem wow. won three with the Bucks and three with the Lakers, five of them in the 70s and then in 1980. So Once you said three with two different franchises, that should have been a dead giveaway. Kareem Abdul-Jamar. Yeah. So. Well, that's our show for this week. We thank you all for joining us. It's been fun to get back in and happy to feel healthy. And, and with the hangman's tail playing us out, we thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time.